0: A lot of people talk about, you know, World War Three, Ukraine, and all these different things. But for me, it's it's world government. It's easier easier to control ten super countries than two hundred little countries, right? And so that's the, I feel that's the direction we're going, and it's going to be digital tyranny. I view basically the social credit system, the algorithm ghetto, as the mark of the beast system, where. It's not so much, the point is not some physical mark, it's the system is set up, and then it's like um, if you're gonna submit to it or not. I think our duty is to resist evil as best as we can, but not be obsessed about it. I'm the kind of person where if I'm taking to the gulags, I'll be laughing on my way.
1: Welcome to the Staying Free podcast. I hope you all had a good Christmas, a new year. So I'm back here with my first episode of 2023 after taking a break for a few weeks since my Christmas special episode. And over the Christmas break, I got in touch with Havoy Morich of the Geopolitics and Empire podcast. And we realized that we were both gonna be in Puerto Vallarta at the same time. That's where I live. And he was coming here on vacation. So we decided that we get together and do an in-person interview. So as I said, Havoy is the host of the Geopolitics and Empire podcast and there he conducts interviews with everyone from government officials, economists, academics, scientists, journalists and freedom fighters from all over the world, delving into the historical, economic and cultural forces that drive global politics and the pursuit of power. So, Havoy's been on my radar for a little while. We've been following each other on Twitter, and I'd seen a couple of episodes of the Geopolitics and Empire podcast. But it wasn't until my friend and previous guest, Parallel Mike, went on his podcast that I started really delving into the backlog of episodes. And since then, it's become one of my favorite podcasts. I think the content is great, the guests are fantastic, and Havoy really brings a lot of his own historical knowledge to it as well. So, I hope you enjoy this one. If you do, please give it a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please give it a five star rating in whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new then welcome make sure you give the podcast a subscribe for future episodes if you'd like to donate to the podcast you can do that in two ways first is you can give a bitcoin tip that's on chain and via lightning network you can also buy me a coffee the links to those are in the description and finally, I really want to encourage all my listeners to go and listen to the podcast on the Fountain app. Fountain will allow you to load a wallet with Bitcoin on the lightning network and then stream sats as you listen to the podcast. This is a great way to get away from the major platforms and also to help support the podcast by sending micro payments. It also encourages me to continue hosting good quality conversations that you're willing to not only tune in for, but also stream sats and help support. If you're already listening on Fountain or any other podcasting 2.0 platform, then thank you for streaming sats. It's hugely appreciated as are all the other donations that I receive. All right, onto the episode. Thank you welcome guys so today we're doing something completely different again um just like last one where i had multiple different people today i'm doing my first live in-person conversation so here i've got with me havoy from the geopolitics and empire podcast and we're going to just talk about a bunch of different stuff we're in puerto vallarta together so we thought that while we're both here we'll do a episode together so
0: welcome to the podcast it's awesome to be here you gave away our secret location (laughs) I did, oh shit, was that, I, was I, I, have I just doxed you? No, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs>
1: okay, anyway, he's in uh, he's in Puerto Vallarta visiting right now. You're just on vacation here, right? Yeah, uh, just vacationing, yeah. That's what we do in Mexico, just taking it easy. Yeah, exactly, right. So anyway, um, but normally you live in uh, Guadalajara. So I know that we've already discussed some of this like before, before coming uh, here and actually starting the recording. So feel free to go over stuff we've already covered because I've m- kind of made this mistake uh, of, having a bunch of really interesting conversation before we even get the thing going. So um, feel free to kind of repeat anything, but uh, tell everyone just a little bit about like how you kind of came to be where you are today. I know that you're Croatian, right? You were born in Croatia. No,
0: US. Oh, you were born in the US.
1: Okay, let's start right back there. So let's have a kind of a run through of of your life up until now.
0: Yeah, real quick. So I'm born in uh, Chicago, US, American, uh, but ethnically a Croat, my parents are immigrants. and so. I grew up between both worlds. We'd go move back and forth. You know, when I was in fifth grade, we moved to Split uh, during the tail end of the war in 94 to Croatia, then moved back I went to high school in Croatia. Uh, And so I identify most as a Croatian. You know, it's like it's like a Mexican born in the U.S. who speaks Spanish and eats Mexican food. And they're Mexican, right? First and then uh, and then, um, you know, I studied history. And then uh, in the early 2000s, I just decided I wanted to leave the United States. Because I, 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 you know, I, I, kind of like you, I, I like living in the developing world. I want to see the world, experience different cultures, learn l- languages. Uh, but I didn't like this super consumerism, materialism. And everyone around me in the 2000s in the US, they, they just want to get drunk, be promiscuous. Uh, you know, and I'm I'm like I wanted to find God. <laughs> I was just more spiritual, and I didn't like that temptation around me of just going to the bars and everyone's just talking about sports and trivial things. And so my ticket out was peace corps Mongolia. So I I, I lived in the yurt in the Gobi Desert, and um and, and I was also studying about you know 911 and and America as an empire. For me, I it, it, it dawned on me late. I realized we're an empire. We're not just a country, and so. I just wanted out, and then since 2006, I just never looked back. I sort of permanently expatriated from the United States, went to Mongolia, came back briefly, uh, and then my next, deciding what I'd do next, which was um, studying uh, at the Geneva School of Diplomacy, a master in international relations. And there I had professors like Saddam Hussein's defense lawyer, Curtis Dobler, Alfred de Zayas, who's the great grandson of Cuba's. Uh, president and un special reporter who's often on russia today and other uh, places and folks like this and then once i graduated in 2009 i was in my home in croatia i'm like i want to i was applying for jobs alaska saudi arabia afghanistan mongolia and i ended up here in mexico (laughs) i got offered and i didn't want to because when i was learning about deep politics and the deep state i didn't want to corrupt myself you know working in in government or international organizations you know i'm not a fan of the un that's the globalist you know world government so i'm like i, don't, I can't stand being there and so i thought you know teaching is an innocent career you can teach you can teach the, the, the youth it's an honest job and so i got offered to teach the tech, tech de Monterrey. it's like the mit of uh mexico although it's a very globalist Um, You know, during the pandemic, they they had actually Hillary Clinton and Bill Gates speak at the online graduation ceremonies. And so, uh, yeah, I've been here since 2010. I, maybe like you I thought I'd come here it's warm I want to learn Spanish the food is good uh, pretty women right and so I just I ended up becoming a Mexican 2018 I was uh, naturalized as a proud Mexican citizen so I got three passports now and, uh, and then I, I went off to Kazakhstan I got offered the gig to teach because I love Central Asia like I was in Mongolia and, and so from 2017 to 2021 I taught um, in Kazakhstan and then All hell broke loose with COVID-1984, right?
1: What were you actually teaching?
0: Well, uh, since 2010, I am a history major and international relations. So the whole time I've been teaching history and political science as well as uh, economics. Uh, So, yeah.
1: So given you know the way that you kind of see the world and talk about the world now and the stuff that you talk about on your podcast you must have been a complete renegade like teaching teaching this kind of stuff were you or or did you have to kind of conform to what they were talking about
0: no i've always been a renegade so um always teaching politically incorrectly so in mexico i got a um, so i taught at the high school level that was always my first full-time job because it's harder to get fired as a high school teacher. And then I was an adjunct at the same time, uh, adjunct professor of international relations. So in Mexico, I taught, a cor- I taught different courses, but one of them was North American scenarios, basically can- Canada, US, and Mexican politics. And I taught that for I don't know how many semesters, and you know, you'd always get different department directors and whatnot, and like I said, it's a very globalist uh, school, and Unexplicably, one semester, I didn't get assigned that course. I didn't get any courses. There was a new department director. And I was sort of told by someone in the administration who was friendly with me, the department head didn't like how you were teaching. So I felt like I was being censored. They took away my courses. And they gave it to uh, a local teacher. And I heard later from students, they hated the way. This teacher was teaching them at the university level as if they were high school students. And I'm, I was Skyping in the father of the North American Union, Robert Pastor. I had the, we had the last interview with him. I Skyped him into the class. I mean, I was using, cause he North American uh, scenarios. I'm Skyping in Paul Craig Roberts, Ray McGovern, C, former CIA. I'm like, who doesn't like John Perkins? I, I Skyped him into my, my classes. And so, yeah, they, they took away my classes. And so I would, I would always, ha- I'd have student, I had a parent, American student, and I was teaching how U.S. was funding ISIS, and the American government killed Martin Luther King, um, and his 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 mom sends in the letter to my principal saying, "This teacher's an anti-American conspiracy theorist," and I'm like, Coretta Scott King. The whole King family says the government killed him. They did a court case and the verdict actually says local state and federal US government agencies literally this is what it says participated in the conspiracy to assassinate Martin Luther King. So, yeah, I've always been kicking against the pricks so to speak.
1: Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, you know, you said just kind of rewinding a bit before, before you were teaching and stuff, you kind of moved around the world and, you know, lived in different countries and, you know, what is it that attracts you uh, to doing that kind of thing? Because, you know, certainly like for me, you know, obviously we're both living in Mexico and now we both kind of like seem to have a love for similar, like for similar reasons of, of this country. And I, I'm interested to know kind of your story there, because I think most people, especially who were born in America, they normally don't, like have such a thirst for, for travel and living in different places. Normally they're quite American centric. So, you, so you know, you've definitely kind of really pushed the boat out there in terms of like where you've been and traveled to in the world and lived. So where, like, where does that come, come from, from you?
0: Well, I think in one sense as a Croat, Croatians are pretty nomadic. Um, I've got family that lives all across the planet. So we, we are kind of uh, nomads, uh, but on the other, hand I guess I just wanted to I Think it's just more intellectual thing and curiosity, and I want to know the world. I want to know other cultures I want to learn Languages and then I've never been the kind of person to I I don't like going somewhere for a week or two like to another country for me I want to go there for a month or months uh, or a year because I want to absorb the local culture and I want to see through the eyes See how the people in that country see the world. And someone told me that uh, when I was in Peace Corps, we had a great instructor. He was from—he uh, was a Greek American. He said, "You don't know your own country until you've lived outside of it and looked at it from from the outside." And That's so true for so many Americans. They're so brainwashed. They live in a bubble, and it's like they're so arrogant and they're so hateful towards the rest of the world. And they think every other country is just trash or garbage and and you know of course there's problems everywhere but this just this having this attitude is like not helpful (laughs) at all i don't think it's loving this is this exceptionalism uh there are things you know probably mexicans should strive for that, that are done in america well but there are things that mexicans do better that americans should also strive for uh this more authenticity right this Uh, this social aspect, this familial aspect, where in America, families are just broken up, right, and everyone's uh, on some kind of legal or illegal (laughs) drug, and so, um, yeah, just I I wanted to see the world, you know, so.
1: Okay, so you know you've you've kind of left America and you, you've gone around, you've done the teaching, and you know all kinds of different things. At what point during this this whole journey for you did you kind of become you know, for lack of a better term, redpilled? You know about the nature of the world and stuff because you know obviously you've ended up in in Mexico and you. You know, a lot of people now are coming here. You know, like we we both know from being here, like oh, there's a lot of people who are coming into Mexico now. Uh, you know, from different countries because they they they're seeking you know more freedom in their life. You know, especially from like Canada and places like this that have got, kind of gone you know full kind of totalitarian. Um, but you were here, like you've been here ten years, right? So you've been here quite a long time, like. Why did you choose Mexico and was that kind of like, was it on a basis of searching for more freedom? And, and if not, then when did that kind of search for freedom and things kind of begin for you?
0: Well, I, I sort of went down the rabbit hole in the 2000s, like I said, 9-11, when I learned 9-11 was a false flag operation, if, if you ask me. And, and I don't think anyone else is, is innocent. You know, like the 1999 Moscow apartment bombings in Russia, there's like four apartments went down. I think that was the Russian state terrorism, a Russian false flag, you know? So it's not like I think anyone, this is just you know a matter of fact, governments do this, and so, um, but even in 2010, I felt, I was consciously thinking of this as well when I came to Mexico, I felt freer. There's pluses and minuses to everything. There's more order in the US, but more control of the government. There's more disorder in Mexico because the government has less control, but in that sense you have more, Freedom. So, I'm not a libertarian. Uh, I'm libertarian-ish. I like a number of principles. Just this general direction towards holding liberty and freedom up. Um, And so, that's one thing I, I, I enjoyed about Coming from the U.S. to Mexico early on in 2010 was just having more, just being sort of left alone uh, by the government. And you know, I, I mean, I also, I, I'm a Christian. You could even call me a fundamentalist Christian. I believe in the Bible, and one of the things that, for me, puts a lot of these things together is the prophecy aspect. You know, there's all the, the prophecy about a one world government and one world currency that it's implied it's going to be a uh, basically a global dystopia, like a global dictatorship. And you're sort of seeing, you know, even for people who don't believe in that, are s- saying like, yeah, we're kind of seeing this global, you know, one world <laughs> type of thing.
1: Interesting. Did you did you happen to catch my conversation with Rick Munn on my part?
0: N- no, I we haven't.
1: We, we talked specifically about this, so we basically just went down this rabbit hole for like, probably over an hour and a half, like on this specific thing. So like, if, if, if you guys haven't already listened to, to that episode and you wanna know more about this, like Rick really lays that, that whole thing out. And I do think that I'm kind of starting to, to see it. You know, I wouldn't say that I'm like a, a very religious person, never really like have been, but I do think that there is some kind of like, there is some fundamental truth there. I think that everything, anything that lasts so long is something like the Bible, you know, being, but, Presumably, the most read book in the world, and you know, one of the longest-lasting in the world. There's always going to be some inherent truth there. I don't know whether I would go as far as you know to believe the nature of the prophets, but maybe, maybe there's some kind of inherent truths about the nature of um, the nature of the human condition, which are kind of expressed in there, which you know uh, you can kind of see happening over and over again. Like, I guess the way I see it is like maybe we all have, you know, darkness inside of it. We all wanna control people. We all, you know, to some degree, and that the more power, you know, that whole idea of like power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Maybe these are just inherent truths and the Bible did a really, really good job of kind of depicting that. I'm not sure that I'm I'm totally on the, you know, on the, the prophecy side of things yet, but, I, I wouldn't rule it out at this point, you know, like I certainly think that I've become close to it. Like I've started reading the Bible and stuff. So, you know, I'm, I'm open to, to exploring that avenue. And, you know, maybe if I learn more about it, I will see that the parallels are more than just, uh, I guess, metaphorically parallel, maybe literally parallel as well, yeah.
0: Yeah, I'm just saying that, I mean, this is what, what, what I believe. Like, well, for, for me, the, the first red pill was, uh, was reading the Bible at age 17, because uh, I was raised Catholic. And then I realized I became a non-denominational uh, um, Christian, because when you read the Bible, you realize it's opposed to a lot of what Catholic Church says. So I'm like, I'm not Catholic anymore. And I kind of went through everything again, atheism and Hinduism and, and all the other isms and the occult I studied. I just came back to not, you know, just the Bible. And for me, a lot of the prophecies are very specific. You know, the creation of Israel again in 1948. And then you realize there's never been a people group um, um, that that's been wiped from the face of the earth and then come back and their language uh, and just, you know, many, man, many other um, things. So uh, yeah, it was that, you know, the Bible first and then nine eleven, and then learning about how the world federal reserve, uh, I had the privilege uh, in 2011 of being taken out to dinner by G. Edward Griffin, you know, the author of the creature. Yeah. From the Jekyll Jekyll Island, Island. Right. Cause I, I, when I was in Geneva, I was just, all all into this stuff and he was looking for volunteers for his unfiltered news letter at the time and i was for a couple years just working with with his team and then i just happened to be going out to la in 2011. Uh, i went to go see a soundgarden concert and um uh and he he's based in LA and I just wanted to meet with his assistant who I've been chatting with the whole time. And he's like, hey, he, Ed wants to take you to lunch. And so, yeah, I got to, you know, go uh, you know meet all these interesting people, so.
1: <laughs> okay, I, w- I want to come back to that because I do want to talk to you about uh, money and economics. But um, just before I do, I want to pick up on something you said before because you said that you're not a libertarian. Um, what what are, What are your views on that kind of stuff? You know, I'm not necessarily telling, you know, I don't want to kind of like, you'd put put everything in a box here necessarily, but like, what are your like more general beliefs? Because I think that I would, I mean, I certainly would describe myself as a libertarian. I'm not sure whether I would go like full voluntarist anarchist. Like I kind of, at this stage, I think that if we could get to some kind of minichism with absolute minimum, minimum government, like I'd, that's certainly way better than where we are now, obviously. But I, I wanna know where you are on that spectrum.
0: Well, like I said, it goes back to be for the the spiritual. And so um, I think the problem with, li- and libertarian, there's a lot of libertarians that I've talked to that I've had on my TNT show Right, <laughs> or my Geopolitics yeah, Empire. We're going to my Geopolitics Empire podcast who are leaving libertarianism, like Mark Clare, um Buck Johnson who I've interviewed, and, and I've met them a year ago here in Saulita. It's like Sayolita is like what a half hour from here where we are. There was a conference last year. And um and it's funny, a lot of them, this is interesting, a lot of these people are moving to Orthodox Christianity or Christianity. So you're seeing people again who were not religious. There's, because there's just so much darkness going on that there's no way to explain what's going on unless you bring in the metaphysical or spiritual right dimension. And so I don't. The thing, the beef I have with libertarianism is because it's it's almost it, there's no limit. It's it's to doing, having this freedom where at some point it clashes with my Christian perspective.
1: Why, why does it clash? I'm interested to know this cuz I find that a lot of people are where you are on this is that is that you know maybe it's coincidental but at a similar time than that they're kind of leaving behind libertarian beliefs they seem to kind of go into orthodox Christianity. But I don't necessarily see why the two are kind of mutually exclusive. So maybe you can lay that out for me.
0: Well, I mean my, my other point is from a Christian view I don't necessarily care for any political system. Like if you look at Christ, he he said, "My, you know, tomorrow I could snap my fingers and have all the angels destroy the Roman Empire." So the Christian purpose, hence my sort of focus, is not so much the political, uh, you know, where and when I can, right? Like what we're doing with our podcast, resist, resist tyranny. But that's not like my biggest preoccupation. It's more the spiritual war on the individual level and with others. And it really doesn't matter what regime you live under we live under empires and and you know i would say republic like the u.s republic is probably the the republic is the best form of government because it's the smallest it's like next to anarchy you have anarchy and then republic as the u.s founders talked about the smallest government possible where you maintain enough order you know protect people from killing each other then from there you have like a democracy and then Monarchy, communism, you know, statism, you go on that spectrum, so I like the smallest government possible, but as a Croatian, you know I was talking to someone in Croatia this year last year. It's like we just a few days ago we, we dropped our national currency, the Kuna, we took the euro, uh, where a lot of people call from Croatia call the European Union Euroslavia, like Yugoslavia. So you know, we were free from Yugoslavia for 10, 20 years, and then we joined again this globalist communist system. But before that, we were part of the king, you know, a kingdom of the Slovenes, Serbs, and Croats, and then we were under the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and then before, you know, we were under other empires and the Roman Empire. And It's just like. You know what I'm saying. You just get used to living whatever political system you, you, you're under. And with libertarianism, you know, they might say if someone, if homosexual marriage, which I, I, I don't agree with, well, the the term marriage. You know, if people want to do whatever they want, if you look at all of history, there was always, you know, um, homosexuals and and they were doing what they wanted to do. You know, you do, you do that in your private. It's a, it's a sexual thing, a preference. But then, you know, marriage. That's man and woman. They're usurping uh, this sort of institution. So I don't. With, with libertarianism, I think um, they might go too far in allowing or legalizing some things that I think. I think if you look historically, traditionally, were not legalized. Maybe they were done in private, which you know you can do whatever you want in private. I don't care, you know. But uh, now you're, you know, you're, you're sort of. Um, You know what used to be traditional cultural mores maybe cultural buffer that we had um are being taken it might be taken down in some things like with libertarianism like if you go to kazakhstan where i used to live or even mexico there are some cultural taboos you know where the society or culture says we're not going to accept this
1: yeah i I think yeah i think i understand where you're coming from so basically there are some things which you think should be prohibited and therefore you need some kind of institution to act as a, beh- a prohibitive force for those things right have a kind of
0: yeah like um, like, I mean, like, you know, some, like a buffer and it doesn't have to be necessarily a law uh you know maybe because in many respects the society itself yeah but that's that's
1: where i was going to go with this right is that like i don't see why you because for me like as a libertarian like i, I think that the institution of marriage i, I would say that you know, you either, you either have it available to anyone no matter how you determine what your marriage should be or better still, you, it's, it's not even a recognized state institution, whatever. And, you know, if people want to, you know, have some kind of private arrangement and, you know, I, I kind of, in many cases, you might agree with this, like it's a sacrament. It's For me, it's not even any kind of duty of the state. It's depending upon what your religion is. So if you're a Christian, you will have a Christian marriage and it's all dealt with by the church. I don't think of the, you know, or if you're having, you know, a Hindu marriage or whatever, it's dealt with by that religious institution. I don't think it should be in any way a government institution whatsoever. So I, again, I would come back to just saying like, if even if you are going down the Orthodox Christianity um, line of things, why not just say, well, I want more power to be awarded back to the religious institutions, which has actually been siphoned to government. I would say that if anything, that would push me more down the libertarian route, you know, by that reasoning.
0: Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I I don't think (laughs) so much about libertarianism um, these days or these philosophical aspects, but um, I I just feel like it's very disingenuous. I mean, when it comes to this stuff, what they're trying to do, where it's like marriage has always been been a man and a woman Mm -hmm. type of thing. And I mean, for the longest time, it's been a legal device, right? People legally get married before the state or empire, you know, in all of history plus, you know, in the church or not. And so, um, it's 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 this thing where they're, they're preaching tolerance, uh, you know, the, the whole LGBT now trans movement where they're being disingenuous because it's a zero sum game. It's not like um, where you can have both, you can't. It's either the old, uh, you know, man and woman marriage um, or once you invert that, um now you're seeing teachers all over the place people being fired uh because they won't use pronouns like in ireland i'm reading and in my own home there was a history teacher in illinois just losing the job because they refuse to use so what, what you, know, you know you know what i'm saying like it's that's sort of my beef and then why would you have a need if, if you're lgbt or, or whatever you know this is what these people have been doing, let's say the heterosexuals that's their thing. Why do I have to go and copy them? I just yeah. do do my own my own thing you know or or we as well you know we don't have to um you can just live together or whatever. Maybe if you want a tax break, you know, get some tax break, but...
1: Yeah, see, this is the thing, like, I would go as far as to say, like, you know, there shouldn't necessarily be a tax break or a tax incentive for these things because, again, we're taking the, rot, you know, something that is supposed to be a, a sacrament and we're kind of putting it into the realm of the state. So it's like, you know, if you want to get married, have a, have a Christian, you know, man and woman wedding and live together, etc., like then you do that based upon the economics of the free market, which says, okay, well, I wanna live together with this person. It makes sense economically. I wanna raise children with them, et cetera. Or if you wanna, you know, be in a gay marriage and you wanna do that same thing, I kind of think that the the state should be agnostic on all of this stuff. And I I also think that, you know, given where we are, you know, um, obviously I'm picking up here, by the way, on on, on a point of disagreement that we we have, because we obviously agree on a lot. So it's fun to tease these things out. But, um, you know, I would say that with the, uh, I'm losing my train of thought a little bit, but with the, where was I going with that
0: point? Uh, We're getting away from the state, I guess. Well, I I, I would just add that I actually practice that. Like My wife's not a US citizen, and when I do my, file my report, uh, tax report, I probably could put as like dependents or, you know, do some sort of thing where I, I get some benefit but my approach is exactly this. Like, I, just, I, I don't want nothing to do with the government. I don't want them to give me money or any break. I just want them to leave me alone. And uh, I, I choose the option where my wife, because she's not a US citizen, she doesn't have to do anything. But there's the other option where I, I, I like file jointly or something. And then she'll get some, I don't know, dedu- deductions or, or benefits or something. but then she has to provide, I don't know, her bank accounts and all of this stuff, and I'm like, I would rather get nothing from you, government, uh, but I get more privacy and you leave me alone. You get yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah, so yeah. I, I'm I'm kind of like, I agree what completely.
1: I, but actually where I was gonna go with that point as well is you know one of the one of the, the problems that I have with I guess kind of you know, because I hear this with a lot of like conservatives who dislike um who dislike libertarians. Um a good example is uh, Matt Walsh. You know, I listen to his, his his podcast and I think that he's he's I agree with him on, on many things, but he's kind of he doesn't like libertarians and he's always kind of like, you know, trying to dunk on libertarians and I kind of think You know, if the state was going to bring about the kind of moral, um, the the state of morality, which you hoped it would, it would have brought it around because we've never had more government and we've never had, you know, in his view, according to him, I'm not necessarily agreeing or disagreeing. There is more, um, immorality, right? According to him, you know, you know, we shouldn't have, um, sex transitions for for kids we shouldn't have you know he doesn't believe in gay marriage and this kind of stuff um he doesn't believe in you know having the idea of multiple genders i mean all of this has happened under extreme statism where, so i kind of think that like the the more you go away from that the the more likely it is that society will organize itself according to kind of more decentralized principles and one of those decentralized principles would be like i guess uh, religious ones right obviously you want to say decentralized like just meaning like there's lots of religions. Like in one country, there's one government with many rules, like with a kind of federal laws, et cetera. But when it comes down to, you know, communities, they can all be uh, within different religions. And I kind of think that if you got rid of the state, you would probably be more likely to have that fractionalization where that you could live in communities, which would be, um, which would govern things according to kind of more Christian orthodoxy or, you know, Judaism or, or whatever it is. So I guess, you know, I'm not trying to necessarily try to you know pull you back to becoming a libertarian. Although I am, I guess. But um, you know, I, I do think that that there's no, from from what I see, I don't see the, the any reason to move away from libertarianism. Um, you know, in order to have more of a kind of religious orientated uh, societal structure.
0: Yeah, well, I would just say I've, I've never been a libertarian. I don't even like the. I'm not a Republican. Let's say I don't. I, I, just, I just classify myself. More on a cultural, social, spiritual level, that I'm a conservative uh, Christian. Yeah. But politically, I kind of don't. You know, I was living in Kazakhstan, and that's an authoritarian light regime, and I can live fine there you know or i you know in mongolia which is it's a democracy but it's almost like anarchy because it's, it's the lowest it's got the lowest population density and you can just go live out in the gobi there's literally nothing there and no and no one bothers you yeah. it's like you're literally living in an anarchy you see what i'm saying so it's yeah. like um uh, and, and i don't i i have on a lot of libertarians i try to find what i have in common with people Uh, and I focus on those things more rather than the things that we have, don't have in common. Like when I have guests, um, you know, I I had, I had on a guest just that comes to mind. I'll have guests on that are leftists that are very good on foreign policy or imperialism or, you know, this, this monopoly capitalist crazy system, but they believe in like climate change and it's like, they might. Mentioned it in passing during the interview, but I kind of like pretend like they never mentioned it And I we just continue talking about foreign <laughs> policy where I, I find it more valuable to beat yeah. on these things where yeah Yeah, yeah, because then we would just be arguing about climate change Fair for, enough. For, <laughs> No, but yeah, that's just my approach. So I have I've I interviewed Scott Horton, you know, Spike Cohen um, A lot of the antiwar.com crew yeah. and you know, we talk about uh, a lot of the things that we have in common But I just I just don't have as some people maybe in, in in independent media or whatever you want to call it, people out there may be attached to a political system or category. I just kind of find that a little less relevant. You live under whatever system you live under, and you just try to go about your interests, right? Whatever whatever they are. I mean, look, look here we are in Mexico. How would you describe Mexico? I mean, it, it is kind of like anarchy. It's like a failed state. <laughs> uh, and you just go about doing what you want to do. If you're, you know, super Catholic, you go, yeah, you know, do that. If you, if you're a libertarian, you, you know, you just forget the state. You just do whatever it is you want to yeah. do. But yeah, but sometimes you do have to comply to the
1: requirements, you now yeah. of the state. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's uh, let's move on to that because I know I said to you before this, I was like, I don't want to put you in a political box, but I then tried to force you to uh, force force you to admit you're a libertarian. So let's uh, I I um I want to talk a bit about the the Mexican stuff actually because you know this is something that actually a lot of people kind of ask me about privately and they talk to me about you know what's it like in Mexico and you know what's going on there. I've I've, I've had some people who listen to the podcast and some friends and people on Twitter and stuff who now have uh, you know either got residencies or or they're thinking about it or they've they've come over for months at a time or whatever. And the way that you describe Mexico as well, because it's interesting, you just said like, it's like a failed state. And I, I would almost say like, it's it's kind of the, it, it is and it isn't. Like it is in the sense that like, everything's chaotic and stuff, but everything just seems to flow so well. You know, it was really interesting. Like, you know, I, I was talking to my girlfriend before about um, when I was in the UK, There was there was all these, strikes going on for everything, right? Like uh, people who are, who are listening from the UK will know this, like in the UK right now, everyone's on strike. You know, the rail workers are on a strike, the nurses are on strike, the post the post office workers and your Royal Mail, they're all on strike. Right? And I was talking to my girlfriend about it and saying, oh, you know, uh, like everyone's on strike. And she was like, what's a strike? I had to explain to her what a strike was. She, she didn't she didn't understand the concept of just like people just wouldn't turn up to work. I, I, I think it's, it seems like a very rare thing here, right? Like people, like society just seems to function. You know, even sometimes you're, you know, when you're moving around and stuff, you're getting on these rickety old buses, but they get you where you need to go. You can normally, you know, you can normally find a place to stay, uh, you know, I don't know, just a, things seem, seem to work, but but it's chaotic, like, and that's one of the things that attracted me um, to Mexico. So I'm interested to know, first of all, if you kind of agree with that as like a, a description of Mexico and also just like what attracts you to
0: you to, to Mexico as well. Yeah, I would pretty much agree with your um, assessment. So, I mean, you, you, you do have more freedom, but then um, from time to time, like you still can't get away 100% from the government. You know, you have to pay, some taxes or do some bureaucratic um, paperwork, but I think it's much less when you compare it to other um, countries. And it's just easy living here in Mexico, despite the narco stuff. I mean, I'm still here, technically 12 years now, going on 13, minus my Kazakhstan since I've been here. And uh, most people I know, have not been (laughs) killed, you know, or (laughs) are still here. And so um, it's a low cost of living. So you can still live reasonably. Like I find unreasonable, like in the U.S. or other countries, the the, the cost, the the things you have to pay. And so it's a low cost of living. Still the social aspect, you know, family. I mean, again, you go to other countries, the West, basically, U.S., Canada, Western Europe, it's like families are all just nobody cares. Here, you know, families meet every week and they get along. And here Mexicans have they're more humble and, and they're more authentic. And I feel like in the West, I experience it every time I go. People just care about all oh, they, they talk about money. Here no one talks about money. It's like I don't care about that. I don't care about this status or materialism. I and mean, in the West it's like uh, I was in Croatia this summer. I can't tell you how many strangers, this pissed me off so much, they asked me how much I make. We were um, at the beach in Croatia, I, uh, I met an old Lithuanian lady who was married to a Croatian. We just start talking, and she asked me how much I make. Then we had a plumber come in to fix something in our house. He's like, oh, you live in Mexico, you're a Croatian living in Mexico. That's fascinating, how much money you make. I'm like, what <laughs> you know it's just uh you should we should value each other on our character right our personality and our humanity and so yeah mexico and it's the, the weather is amazing the food is amazing you can go to the beach um uh you can work less you can get by without with working less and so yeah and, and that's the other thing And if i wanted to live in the u.s i'd be have to work have, i'd have to be working like a maniac right just to stay above board. We're here. You can kind of work part time if you have to take time off. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. And, and and the thing is as well,
1: I mean, I'm interested to to know what you, you think to this because, you know, your podcast, Geopolit- Geopolitics and M- Empire, I think this is a big um, geopolitical question. It's like when you have places like Canada which have gone full totalitarian, you know, like people can't own properties there, like the property prices are ridiculously well, high. Literally
0: like a few days ago, no foreigners can now buy Canada uh, property in Canada for the, at least two years. <laughs> really? <laughs> this is just passed like, yeah, this last week, so.
1: <laughs> what, because? Because the prices have gone too high, they're trying to curb. I forget the
0: exact reason, but no foreigners can buy. You know, a Mexican, an American, or whoever cannot buy property now in Canada for at least I think for okay. two years.
1: That's wild. I, n- I never heard that. But you know, you you've probably noticed as well. There there is a hell of a lot of Canadians here in, in Mexico, and you know, a lot of them came here after the back of COVID. They're not going to go back. Like you know, they they're done with it. They they're done with the totalitarian totalitarianism there. You know, they're done with Trudeau being this dictator. You know, they've started. They've they've. You get your bank accounts frozen if you protest uh you know and, and the other thing as well the other thing to add to this kind of um mix of things is like it's really really cold over there and in the winter they all have to heat their homes and they're trying to do that now with hyperinflating energy prices so I think a lot of Canadians in particular have seen this huge opportunity of just saying okay well I can go to Mexico it's it's this. I think it's it shares at least one time zone, and if not, it's maybe one to two hours out. Like you can easily kind of like work from
0: here. And they changed the law, also AMLO, so no more changing time zones. We get rid of the daylight savings in Mexico, which is another oh, fantastic it? thing too.
1: Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's great. But you know, there's so many reasons for Canadians to, to, to actually like come here, especially now everyone's working remote. I, I just, how is this How is this gonna go? Because you've basically got a, a massive country with huge uh, opportunity to expand. You've got rich people or generally pretty wealthy people in Canada who are trying to escape high, hyperinflation, who are trying to escape tyranny and all the rest of it. Like, I just cannot see how Mexico isn't gonna become if not a superpower, at least it's gonna massively benefit from all of these things going on in the world right now. and Not just Mexico, there's probably gonna be other countries as well in similar positions, different parts of the world. But I think in Mexico, it's almost just like got this perfect set of circumstances to to move it in, in a really, really positive direction.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with you. I think Mexico going forward, um, at least economically speaking, I mean, there's a security issue. We can't downplay that. Um, you know when i first came in 2010 i was not living in a gated community and my home was broken into from 2011 to 2013 uh, the rental was broken into three times while i was away um i've probably been extorted once by a transit authority um and uh, you know I've, I've had a co-worker kidnapped he survived i've had parents of students kidnapped but they were super wealthy uh you know businessmen But Apart from that, um, but going back to uh, what you're saying about the Canadians, it's like I've met so many of these people, it's insane. Like. Um I don't think they're, they're not going back and I mean even here you you see you, you see Starbucks and Costco's and, and Walmart's and and you've got Netflix and I, I can't believe how many on, on my in my neighborhood I see it's all flooded with Amazon boxes. It's like it's it's almost like you didn't leave Canada. You know, you've got all, all of the, the same amenities. Um, like I said, the other living costs are lower, and so it's it's a no-brainer. I mean, where I live, I don't even use energy for heating or cooling. We don't, uh, it's that temperate, you don't really need heating or uh, cooling, and in Lake, Lake Chapala, which is not that, well, back, back near Tukulahara, there's it's got the biggest expat community of Canadians, North Americans, right? I think it's like 20 or 30,000 Canadians and US citizens, and, and some of the people that I've met, um, their kids were born here, so their kids got Mexican citizenship, and then they will get Mexican citizenship. They've come down with even the grandparents in, in tow, uh, and many have bought land in all different parts of Mexico. And so, yeah, like you said, I don't, it's a one-way sort of deal. I don't really see anyone coming back. And some of the people that I know, that I talk to, where I just see in the different groups, I mean, they're buying land, they're building communities, they're already in these years-long process of setting up. So it's not like you're spending all these years setting up and you're not gonna (coughs) hightail it out of here. I mean, unless, you know, we never know. Tomorrow the situation might become unbearable with the narcos and we might have to leave, but you know. Yeah,
1: yeah, for sure. And the other thing that I didn't mention in that mix as well, which is probably worth mentioning, is actually the moral decline of the West as well. You know, I I think that when you see the kind of stuff that's going on, you know, with like this, like drag queen story hour and stuff like that, I mean, it would just be unthinkable here, wouldn't it? And you know, like, I think
0: that, like, oh, you don't think so? It's, I mean, I see it slowly, maybe not so fast, but this, I'm shocked at how fast this stuff is coming in. Oh, I've to, not. I've to not Mexico. Seen, yeah,
1: I've not seen anything like that in Mexico. But uh, I don't know. I, I guess I've not been like. Well, <laughs> places like
0: the, uh, any urban area in any part of the world. Uh, urban areas are globalist. You know, I've in, I've interviewed Gregory Copley, who's uh, very good. He talks about this sovereign globalism, and sovereignty. Rural areas are basically nationalist or sovereign, sovereignty focused. And any urban area, whether it's from you know Ulaanbaatar, capital of Mongolia. Guadalajara or Mexico City that's where the globalism comes in first and you see it in in like Guadalajara Mexico City you know abortion and then uh, Alfaro the uh, the the head of Jalisco state they, they brought in now the past Mexican passports that allow you to choose gender you know Oh, yeah, I think I have heard about that. And then you have more and more of these pride parades and things like this. And then, I mean, even I always tell the story in Colima, not far from here, uh, there was a Christian Mexican politician, this lady, and all she, and this is just a couple years ago, all she did was post to her private Facebook quotes from the Bible. And eventually she got to that quote that says homosexuality is a sin, and she got fired. You see what I'm saying? Like, where's the tolerance there? She's—that's her personal belief, personal Facebook. Just posting a quote. She's not like saying, you know, I, in some hateful manner, like some other people that I, I don't agree with the way they say those say things. But she lost her job. So you, you see this wokeism, whatever you want to call it. I, I just basically call call it globalism. It encapsulates. All of these things. And you're seeing it as far as Kazakhstan. When I was teaching there, I could already notice the high school youth in Kazakhstan. Because it, it's the internet. The mind control is going through the social media, the Google, the apps, the social media, the YouTube, the blogging, and they're consuming the same you know, Netflix, Hollywood stuff. It's going around the world. I mean, there was a kid during the pandemic, I read in, in, in one of the schools that I worked, not the same school, but another uh, campus, he jumped from, he or she, I don't remember, jumped from a ninth floor building, killed themselves, because uh, I think it was a boy wanting to wear a skirt to school. And we were talking about that earlier, the conservative Kazakh culture. That will not fly with 95% of Kazakhstan will not accept you know these Western Moors. And the teacher just sort of made a strict comment to the boy. And unfortunately, I wish that never happened. They killed themselves. Um, but that just tells you how far it's reaching, you know, out all the way to Kazakhstan, this sort of ideology and it's slowly, you know, working its, its way.
1: Yeah. Okay. So that, I'm glad you've kind of zoomed out a little bit there because I wanted to come back out of the weeds a little bit and talk to you about the wider picture essentially, you know, um, because obviously, you know, you've got your podcast, your politics and empire, like this is exactly what it's talking about, right? It's talking about the worldwide picture and the direction we're going and everything. So like, how would you like define that for people? Let's say that there's someone out there, obviously I'm assuming with my podcast, you're kind of somewhat preaching to the choir, but like for someone who who kind of isn't clued up on this stuff, like what is going on in this geopolitical world? uh, Like, what is it that we're up against basically?
0: For me, it just comes, I mean, it goes again back to the Bible and the prophecy that, you know, Book of Daniel and Revelations, that says, I just look at what the end game is, and then I just reverse engineer. And then you can see along the way the signals, the trend, right, to get there. And a lot of people talk about, you know, World War Three, Ukraine, and all these different things. But for me, it's, it's world government, right? I was just reading yesterday, uh, Argentina uh, minister from Argentina and I think Brazil, we're talking about creating a um, a common currency in Latin America, Mercosur. So uh, I, I think the goal is a world government, and then everything else is to try to get us uh, to that goal. And even before the pandemic, I remember because we would take a taxi to work every day to the school in Kazakhstan with I had an Indian colleague, another Croatian colleague, and. Uh, From 2017 to 2019, we'd talk about this stuff sometimes, and I would say, yeah, there's a global dystopia coming. I literally recall telling them over and over, global dystopia. And for me, like from 2020 to 2022, that's a global dystopia. I, w- I mean, you go to any country, you couldn't, you were locked down, you, you uh, had to have a digital permission to buy food, to buy and sell. I, I remember reading Italian businesses shut down. They lost their businesses because the owners of the business had to have a vaccine certificate to sell. So they, lo- they ended up shutting their businesses and fleeing as migrants to like Netherlands to look for work. Um, so it's like you, you can't buy or sell without the mark of the beast or, or whatever it is. And, and I, I view basically the social credit system, the algorithm ghetto, as the mark of the beast system where it, it's not so much the point is not some physical mark, It's the system is set up and then it's like um, if you're gonna to submit to it or not, your decision. Like, you know, in order to go buy food, you have to take the Vax. If you don't, you know, you're on your own, you'll have to scrounge for food. Or, or in the other case, like this, people losing their jobs because uh, they disagree spiritually, culturally, morally with the LGBT thing. Or even climate stuff now, people are losing jobs because they question the climate narrative. The whole, whole ESG thing, right? Companies now are gonna go bankrupt because they're not following the climate. Uh, even here in Mexico, I have friends that work in companies in Mexico that are now saying they're already getting ESG audits in, in Mexico. So, What I feel is going on now is this drive towards world government. We saw all countries in 2020, we're already basically under world government. This is what I believe. It's not like someone's gonna come and announce it. All, all governments are captured. By these corporate interests, private, intelligent, military networks, and um, you know th- this global sort of um, network, and and, and they're trying and, and the road to world government is regional unions. So the EU is the prototype for world government for a technocratic, you know, dystopian totalitarian world government system. We saw AMLO in September meet with Secretary of State Blinken. He specifically said, we want to use the EU, and I've been saying this for 10 years, I've been saying for like a decade that the EU is the blueprint for world government, and then you have AMLO, a couple months ago say, we want to use the EU model to integrate Canada, USA, and Mexico, he literally said that. And then, not long after that, Rafael Correa, ex-president of Ecuador says, we want to use the EU model to create a South American Union. you know, And then you've got Putin and Azerbaijan saying, we want to create a Eurasian Union. There's already an African Union. Uh, the Council on Foreign Relations 20 years ago, they've wrote, written about a Middle Eastern Union. And I think that's what the Abraham Accords are about. So you create these supranational unions, and then that's basically your world government. That's the organizational structure that they probably think is best to manage the. Uh, it's easier easier to control ten super countries than 200 little countries, right? And so that's yeah. th- I feel that's the direction we're going, and it's going to be digital tyranny. They're going to set up this algorithm ghetto where. Um, I mean, you, you see it everywhere, right? Going cashless, all of this QR codes and everything, and so.
1: Okay. So. Um you know, I know that you had uh, my friend Parallel Mike on your show recently. Shout out to Parallel Mike because he's a Real cool guy. To- I like. He's a it. he's a legend. He's <laughs> gonna. I'll tell you now. Like Mike is gonna go really far in in this in this new world that we're building, and I kind of want to get onto that a bit actually, just in terms of like what we are actually building here. But just um, what do you think? Um, you know, we can actually be be doing because you've got people like Parallel Mike who are just like going all in on the, you know, self sovereignty stuff, you know, like, you know, growing your own food, living off the grid, generating your own electricity and stuff. And then you've got kind of like, you know, various like different movements, but like, what do you think that, what do you think we actually need to do as individuals and as kind of collectives to like combat this stuff? Because there is a lot of momentum in favor of this stuff. And I think a lot of people are kind of blind to it. And I, I'm not sure. I mean, personally, I have my ideas of what I think is gonna bring about the world, which is all about like improving like self sovereignty. But like, where do you stand with, with all that stuff? Like, what should we be doing on a day-to-day basis to fight it all?
0: I think um, I'm not of this attitude that, you know, <sighs> I think we're all like soldiers, and soldiers have different roles, right? Like in the brigade, sniper, and frontline and commander, and logistics, and medic. And it's like, I don't poo poo someone who doesn't want to get involved politically. Like I think we should be going full on parallel society running for the hills, or at least having that set up. And so, if there are people so inclined, we need more that, you know, need to become more like activists, If someone wants to run for some office or, uh, you know, push back against the government, we need to be doing that. We need to be doing information warfare, podcasting, whatever, um, building parallel societies. So all of that, but I don't think it's like everyone should be doing that. I'm not going to say, if someone doesn't want to deal with politics, I'm not going to say, ah you're bad or, you know, you should be involved, you know, politically active or, so I, th- that's sort of, sort of how I feel that we need to be building the parallel systems. I kind of view all of this as inevitable. Again, my, back to my biblical view that this can't stop. Uh, well, the, th- the thing is that we don't know when it will happen. Like, I had the conversation with Pastor Arthur Polowski, the f- famous Canadian pastor that uh, shouted at the Nazi. Uh, yeah, remember? Remember they're coming video. in. He was like, yeah. Nazis, communists, get out. Uh, and and <laughs> Patrick Wood of Technocracy, I've interviewed him, and he's also Christian. And he, he they both had the same view, which I, I share, that if you look at historically, Satan or the devil, which I believe is a Real, you know, specific antithesis. A lot of people attribute it to some vague sort of ambiguous evil. No, I think there's a real, you know, Satan, Lucifer, who's going around manipulating things and he wants this world government. And if you look at the trajectory of all of history, Over time, he has kept trying to create a world government, like a Roman Empire. In the Roman Empire, I was shocked during the pandemic to discover there were certificates, like vaccine passports. They had certificates where citizens had to offer animal sacrifice to pagan gods. And if you didn't have the certificate, you'd be like fined or jailed or killed or something. So Christians back then would have to ask their friends to get them fake pagan worship, you see what I'm saying? That is amazing, I've and never in heard the holy, that before. In the, in the Middle Ages, the Catholic Church also had, uh, you can't buy or sell unless you submit it to the Catholic Church thing. Okay, but then
1: if this has happened before, it sounds like this is something that's cyclical,
0: right? That Well, I, I don't view it more, well, in one way cyclical, but I view it as, it, it's a permanent trajectory where at one point it will happen. Right, okay. So it's like, it's it's waves that every time get bigger and bigger. It's not like it's cyclical where it happens and then it's not going to happen again. Each wave is bigger. And then you have Nazi Germany. They had the Nazi health passes, right? And I think you know Hitler and the Nazis were this occult. You know they were going to try to take over the the planet, and they failed. And that's what Pastor Palowski and and Patrick Wood said that we don't know if this time it's it or they're gonna fail, and then we'll have another couple of decades of, of freedom. So I think eventually it's gonna happen. It could, it, this could be it. Or, but I, I think our duty is to resist evil as best as we can, but not be obsessed about it. Um, try to live a balanced life, you know? Enjoying life, being happy, fighting tyranny, um, you know what I'm saying, like in, in all aspects, being well well rounded. So th- that's kind of my view, and what others like Pawlowski and Patrick would say that it's coming in waves, but every time it's more massive. Like I interviewed Mark Faber, the millionaire investor, Swiss investor who lives in Thailand, and I think in 2020, and he's like he studies history, he's historian. He says from a secular point, he said that in all of history, we've never seen what happened during the pandemic in all of history, even secularly speaking that should tell you something where all countries shut down, that's unprecedented, you know?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. But, but you know, I, I agree with that, what you were saying about, you know, that we still gotta just like live our lives and, and all this kind of stuff. Like, I, I do think, and I'm hoping that this year, because I think that, this Community has been a little bit doomer over the past couple of years, to be honest. Like, you know, it's good that people are getting active and stuff, but there is a lot of just like, oh, everything's going, you know, there needs to be a sense of humor about this stuff. We need to actually kind of, I think that there was this thing, uh, I remember when like, uh, you know, Hitler was in power and stuff. Well, not I remember that I was living during those times, but you know, people have, have, have said since that like during those times, it was almost like that people used to kind of mock Hitler almost as if like, he's this stupid figure. And then it was like, they kind of lost that at some point. And then it became like, oh, it's all so serious. I think that we need to like mock these people and we need to mock what's going on. And we need to actually like be positive build you know, build stuff up, but build it from a good place. I was talking to um, Darren Denslow on, on TNT radio the other day, TNT. I, by the way, I want to I talk to you about TNT in a minute um, because I love what you guys are doing. But I was talking to him and I, and I, you know, I said like, what we've got to be doing is like raising our consciousness because we have to kind of bring about, I think the way that we win is not, you know, it's not necessarily that everyone's got to go, you know, full on like, okay, we've got to, Um, all have our own little off-grid whatever houses and do everything, like that's good. And I do think that that can really insulate you, but I don't think it's gonna win long-term because most people are not gonna ultimately live that life. I do think that, you know, that's a bit of a step too far. We've kind of moved out of that world, but I think that what is necessary from everyone, like to actually kind of like win this thing is we've got to win the spiritual war. Like that's something that we can actually do that everyone can do is that you kind of like keep a good spirit, you, you know, like, interact with other people that we kind of like keep like a lot of love between people in, in our community. And then we show through our actions, we bring over people from that kind of other side, just by the nature of, you know, what we're projecting out into the world. Right. And, you know, again, not to kind of repeat myself too much on, on Darren's show, but just to to kind of briefly use the, the parallel that I drew there is like, you know, you see people who are what they want is that everyone is, you know, sitting at home wearing a mask and, you know, living in the metaverse and eating bugs, right? Now you do that by fear, right? So how do you create the opposite? Well, in my view, like you do it through love, you do it through love and you do it through humor and you do it through good emotion stuff. And if you give those things to those people, they don't wanna sit and live in the meta- metaverse and wear a mask and, you know, be afraid of everything. They actually can, you know, that energy I think is more infectious, right? So, like. I think that we need to, and you know something that I'm gonna certainly like try to improve on myself because I <laughs> just like anyone else have a habit of kind of going down these Duma routes, but I think that we need to actually kind of raise our consciousness and that through that, the people on the other side, you know, and I, I don't say that kind of as a pejorative, but you know just people who ne- don't necessarily share all of our, our our ideas, they will actually kind of say, these people are living well, you know, I was told that I was gonna die if I didn't take the vaccine. I was told I was gonna die if I didn't wear the mask. I was told that, you know, I needed to eat the bugs to save the planet or whatever. And when they see that people are living outside of that and they're kind of extricating themselves to the system to some degree, if if not physically, then at least spiritually, I think that's how we kind of, you know, m- you know we, we bring people across and then we build a new world, you know? Like, uh, I just wanna get your thoughts
0: on all that. Yeah, I would totally uh, agree with you. I mean, I've always been a prankster uh, a, a joker, like, I had the, I'm not kidding, everyone can testify this, I, at my workplace at Detective today as a teacher, the best office, like, it was decorated with all of these conspiracy posters, and I had pranks, like, garlic tic-tacs, you take the tic-tac for a minute, it's, it's garlic, or shock pens, shock um, um, staplers, exploding pens, like, I just love playing jokes, and... Um, My approach is I don't know where it comes from whether it's you know, they say from the Balkans us former Yugoslavs Croats You know as well as Serbs and Bosnians that we have this dark humor dark Balkan humor because and it's the same with other Cultures that have gone through tough times where things are so bleak. I mean you can either laugh or you cry So you just start making jokes and so but, but I, I also, for me, it's important I'm able to look at the darkest things that are going on now, because I also studied history, um, I mean, I, I watch videos, war videos and stuff that are gory. You know, I made it a point to show to students when we talked about the Middle East Wars foreign policy and th- there's this clip of uh, Afghan uh, soldiers where they step on, a, a soldier steps on a mine and his uh, eyes are blown out, his legs blown out. He's still alive, but it's brutal. I'm like, you need to see this. Some could not watch, I would give them a warning. I'm like, so I feel like I'm able to look at the darkest black pill hole, but still retain my sanity. Like it doesn't do anything to me when it, like you're saying this flip side and my joy or, or, or laughter, there are people who look at that and then that's all they think about and they don't, they're not happy otherwise. And I, I see some people like on my telegram, which I think is half filled with like fed bots. They're just upset. Obs- it, was, it was just angering me this week. It was like a flood. So unorganic that it's just they were just obsessed with the, the J- Jewish people. And I'm not like I don't think Jews rule the world. I think it's again, Satan and then all of these different other groups, you know, Bilderbergs, trilaterals, masons, and you know, you've got a Saudi lobby, you have an Israeli lobby, you have all kinds of lobbies, so. But so many people are just obsessing over 5G is gonna get us, and, and this or that, and it's like, that's not healthy. And um, I can look at this stuff, and la- I'm the kind of person where, if I'm taking to the gulags, I'll be laughing on my way, you see what I'm saying? Like, having this attitude, they can't take that away from you, your laughter, your 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 joy, your faith, or, or or whatever they can physically do that. They can impoverish you, close your bank accounts, but they can't. Um, I'll be laughing on my way to the gulag, and that kind of I feel like that encapsulates what you're talking about. And I think that's how we should be. And yeah, have this balance because there's too many people just doom and glooming. I know some people who are just buying land in 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 Mexico and just freaking out. They're like, what what if what if the government comes and takes my land, I'm like, well, what are you gonna do? Like when in, in Nazi times, when they came to take the Jews or whoever, that's it, that's the end of the road, deal, make peace with that, you know, and there's no, at some point there's gonna be something there where there's nothing you can do. Yes, and I think that this is why you need to have some
1: kind of spirituality, whether that's, you know, A religious spirituality, or whether it's just a a kind of personal belief, or some kind of understanding that you have with the, you know, the essence of your own humanity. I think at some point you you have to not be afraid of death, especially when you've done everything within, you know, the realms of your capacity to escape, you know, whatever bad thing can happen to you, right? You know, like nobody wants to go to the Gulag. You know, we're all trying to kind of like create the world we want to live in, but if you get to the end of the road, you kind of, at some point you gotta say, well, you know, we're all here in this infinite crazy world that we can't really fully comprehend. And whether you think you're gonna go and be with God or whether you think you're gonna go and rejoin, become stardust or whatever it is, right? Like whatever your belief is, you know, this isn't it, right? Like I think that you've gotta have some kind of a sense of um, wonder about the nature of life. Because if you don't, if you just think this is what everything is, and I think that's actually part of the, the darkness. And in, in my view, like part of, why people get into these dark spirals is because they think that this material world is all there is. You have to have something more than that, right? Transcendental. Think, yeah, you've got, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Man, this has been such, such an awesome conversation. Before we before we sign it off, um, tell us what's going on with, with TNT because you know. Um, I genuinely think TNT is awesome. Like, I love what you guys are doing. I've got like really, really like high hopes for where everything's going there. I think that it's like super different, and you know, got you know a lot of respect for what's going mm-hmm. on. Tell us about that. Tell us about like you know your own podcast, and yeah, like what's coming up for you right now.
0: Yeah, like I, I mean, Geo, I, I basically the way my podcast started was basically like 2012, I think around there, where I was just skyping in. Um, people that I wanted to talk to, like the Paul Craig Roberts and Lord Christopher Monktons, uh and uh, I called that the Dissident Thinker channel. It's still up. And then I, I made a real podcast like 2015, 16, uh, Geopolitics and Empire. So I was just moonlighting, working full time and I was just moonlighting at the podcast. And so um, I'm trying to really build up the, the podcast now. It's, it's a struggle. You know, you got life and kids and TNT and so so yeah, the, the you can visit Geopolitics and Empire at the website, geopoliticsandempire.com. It, on the Google search, I'm blacklisted. Um, so I'm doing that. And then TNT, um, basically, yeah, I was Rick's, Rick Moon's guest back in March of, I guess last year now. I got to get yeah. used to saying last year, March 2022. And then like a week later, uh, I got hired to do a TNT show by... Um, Mike Ryan, and so since March, I've been doing uh, TNT, and like, kind of like you, I feel like I'm part of the experiment. I don't, I take it day by day. It's evolving. Um, I love what they're doing. I, I think the administration, Mike, and the crew are—they're adapting. They're fluid. They're seeing what works. If something doesn't work, they stop it. They adjust, which I think is the best way to go about it. Uh, they keep growing, and so. You know, finance is important for everything. For podcasts like, you know, Staying Free or Mine or TNT, it's really hard to work against the censorship. Uh, and people expect free content. And like, a, I've got some sponsors, which has helped me out a lot. And I put in a minute or two of ads in my podcast. And there's people that complain. I'm like, well, I'm giving you an hour with awesome guests for free and you're complaining about just having to sit through a minute of ads like well i don't need you i'm sorry but that's like you know how much hard work you, i mean you were telling me it's hard work producing this content for free and we you, you i can't live uh, off the air right and so yeah but dnt um, i kind of see them they're becoming like a vanguard right almost like a sort of a infowars type uh, system, uh, uh, a little more, you know, nuanced than, than something like info wars, but Alex Jones has been on TNT radio, right? Just- has he? <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. And so, uh, all of the big names everyone knows of has been on, you know, all of the McCullers and Robert Malone's and Steve Kirsch's and, uh, all sorts of people have been on. And so, yeah.
1: Yeah. I think with TNT, it's almost like it's almost like the the sum sometimes is is greater than the parts in a way, you know. Like with TNT, you, there's so many like really awesome hosts like all in one place, and you just kind of got this this thing that's like a, a crucible. And you know, like everyone individually, you know, it's got podcasters. Obviously, like Rick was not a, a podcaster like before, but you know,
0: you were, and um, World Warfare he had a podcast. I think uh, there's, there's a few other. I guess you got um you got Senator Malcolm Roberts from Australia, and it's funny I interviewed him in 2021, way before. I knew oh, yeah. TNT existed. I had him on. He, he's like the Australian Ron Paul. I said that in the interview right. to him. That got taken off of YouTube. But uh, he's got his own, I think, one once a week show on Saturday on, on TNT radio. He's openly in Australia in the parliament speaking against digital ID and Great Reset and WEF and all of that. And so yeah, you've got Joe Hoff from Gateway Pundit who's big and and the roster, you know, it, it changes from time to time. So yeah,
1: yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's it's great. I, I think, you know, it's really tapped into this community as well. You know, that, that's one of the main things is that, you know, TNT, like I, I, I'm going on there and I'm, I'm listening to people who I know through Twitter and I know th- through, you know, the, the Freedom Community and going to protests and all kinds of stuff. Like it's genuinely tapped into, it feels organic. It feels grassroots. And yeah, so, you know, I've got, I've got high hopes for sure. And, um, you know, I definitely recommend that people check out your podcast as well, Geopolitics and Empire. You've had some really, really cool guests on there and great conversations and stuff. It's definitely like become one of my favorite podcasts. So I appreciate you coming on here to talk with me. And, and
0: my, my next geopolitics Politics and Empire guest is going to be pretty cool. It's going to be maybe him. Yeah, oh, yeah, good. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: That's <laughs> worth mentioning. So we're, at, we're actually about to basically swap places here. And uh, I'm about to uh, go on Havoy's podcast. So we're going to we're going to do a, another conversation there. But, you know, I hope you guys have enjoyed this one. Obviously trying something completely different with this in-person conversation. But uh, yeah, thank
0: you so much for coming on. If you have any last words, but otherwise, let's close this one down. Last words. Well, we're we're gonna have to enjoy later some maybe some tacos and viva Mexico. That's all I can say.